So Money episode 68, Jeff Olson. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday. Happy International Day of Happiness. Did you know that this is a thing? Did you know today is a day to celebrate being happy, doing happy acts? So what happy acts are you up to today? Maybe listening to this podcast makes you happy. Um, Maybe simple things like buying your friend a cup of coffee, surprising your kid after school and going to the park together, opening doors for strangers. You know, small happy acts play a very big role in life's fulfillment. And three years ago, the United Nations sanctioned March 20th today as International Day of Happiness. It's a day to drive awareness for the need for happiness in our worlds. Pretty simple. And today's guest is a major supporter of this event. He's the founder of Live Happy Magazine, Jeff Olson. And for the second year in a row, Live Happy has joined the UN with its own mission to lead a global movement to inspire the world to think, act, and live happy with the hashtag happy acts challenge. For more, you can check out happyacts.org. Jeff is also the founder and CEO of Nerium International. It's a skincare line, has independent brand partners, some of my girlfriends, who sell the skincare line independently as sort of their own small businesses and are very, very successful. There's lucrative compensation. They're able to give exclusive products. They get top quality tools and training, and it's a really strong community and has been recognized and rewarded for it. A few takeaways from our time with Jeff, how happiness correlates to prosperity in your financial life, his millionaire next door mindset and how it helps him protect his wealth, and the benefits of growing up poor and the financial breakthrough that Jeff experienced back in college. Here we go. Here is Jeff Olson. Jeff Olson, welcome to So Money. Happy International Day of Happiness. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to having this discussion. So I understand that all through the month of March, you have been encouraging people to take on these uh, happy acts. Um, what's been, what, have been, what have been some of your happy acts uh, up until today's big celebration? Well, it, it, happy acts are just a pretty much simple thing that you can do. It's as simple as opening a door for somebody, which obviously that's something you should do anyhow. But it can be also something like uh, letting buy the coffee for somebody standing behind you at a coffee line. It could be as simple as seeing somebody drop something. But it, it's just making a conscious act to do something. So I've been doing those things when, as a restaurant last night, and I, I just consciously uh, did something for the waiter that was beyond what I may normally do. And it's just taking awareness up that you can have a you know an impact on somebody's happiness through just a very simple expression that you do physically or with your own words or with a you know with an action. So it's just it's a fun habit to get into. Now you yourself you are uh, you are a man who wears many hats. On the one on the one hand, you are an entrepreneur, um, founder of Nerium, which is actually. Um, a, a company that many of my girlfriends have recently taken up um, direct selling. They love it. They love the results. They love uh, the products. 
Also, you're in the business of happiness. As an entrepreneur, how does happiness yield gratitude and also prosperity in your life? And so for some people, they're interested in you know, being prosperous financially. What are the correlations in, in so far as conducting a life that is devoted to happiness? How do you get there? And then how does that translate to um, prosperity? And how have you seen this translate in your own life? Okay, very good question because I, I, me personally, and, and all the different businesses I've started, and and both in the corporate world and in my own businesses, I've I've always led with building people, personal development, and, and getting people to focus on the, the right books and tapes and that type of seminars, that type of thing. And, and when I saw happiness, happiness is uh, something that's coming out of the, uh, the universities. It's it's uh, it's research coming from well-being, positive psychology, and what they have proven, which is very interesting. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that uh, happiness—that that happiness is the precursor to success. That we all have it kind of backwards. That we think if we have our finances, or our health, or our relationships, we'll be happy. What they've proven through brain scans and clinicals and tests and of the top universities around the world is you become happy and you become financially more successful. And as much as like they say, productivity goes up 31 percent. People's income goes up 30 percent. By just simply being happier, and your health goes up. If there are studies that show that people's health goes up 39% by just being happier. And, and they, they've seen uh, corporations where their their costs for healthcare goes down 41% per person in some of these studies because they're happier, and, and it affects their health. And relationships obviously has a huge impact. And so, it's something that that, that can really have a financial uh, impact on somebody's personal life or a company's bottom line. And what I found, and this is why I got so excited about it, is I've, I've, you know, I, I actually built a TV network uh, over a decade ago around uh, personal development, produced over 900 shows around family, finance, health, relationships, that type of thing. I've always thought that you know your own personal development was your precursor to success and finance and health relationships. And I saw happiness, but I saw there, and this is why I got so excited about it, is not only was it the precursor, but it also was something that was very easy to obtain. And this is the difference. Um, you can just start doing three gratitudes a day, simple gratitudes. You can write down what you're grateful for three different, three times a day. It takes up five, maybe 10 minutes at the most. That changes the way your brain neurons are firing and the way you start seeing things and it changes your awareness. And literally in 30 days, they've shown uh, grumpy old men turning <laughs> happy and that's 30 days. And so, you know, it's not something big that happens to you. It's something little that you can do. And so all of a sudden you start looking at, you know, a business or a person, you know, being happy and doing gratitude. It's, it's not only the right thing to do, but financially it's the smart thing to do, you know, or health is the smart thing to do. And so that's what got me intrigued by it so much. And, and uh, that's what got me into the space of happiness and started you know, developing the, the, the Live Happy Empire that we're doing. How do you define happiness? I would suspect that for depending on the person, there's a different definition, just like we each uniquely define success. We each uniquely define gratification. How do you define happiness and how do you teach it to others? Okay. The, the, you define happiness. It's a state of being quite honestly. It's, and it's, and it's, it's people, it's to a certain degree, it's subjective, although they've, they've done clinicals where they literally 
uh, scan the brain and, and there's parts of your brain that, sh- that light up when you're happy and there's parts of your brain that light up when you have anxiety and stress. And they've been able to show that by people doing simple little activities that the brain, what's firing up in the brain changes. Okay. So you can physically have a, a difference and it's, and it's, again, it's not through major things. And so, um, it's, it, it, it the so definition of happiness is, is just a state of, of, of well-being. To, to get there is just not that very difficult of a thing to do, and and it, it really starts with awareness, and that's what I'm doing with with our with the, the Live Happy magazine, and we've become the biggest content aggregator of, of happiness. And, that, and the first thing to do is just make people aware that there is there is a place to go about happiness, and happiness matters. I mean, it, it, it almost you think of happiness like almost like sadness, like it's part of your life, but when you, fo- you know, it's like anything, what you focus on grows. And so you just, when you make it, uh, become aware that happiness is, is actually a tool. It's not just a response. It's, it's, it's something you can be proactive about or something that you're reactive about, you know. And, you know, it's kind of like sadness to a certain degree is, is a reactive impulse that comes from something that happens. It's, I don't think people proactively go out to try and be sad. But, you know, when you think about happiness, you, you can proactively try and be happy and and get yourself into the into those activities, and, and so what we're trying to do is just have an easy awareness of happiness, and then be have a easy access to happiness. And so, mm. uh, just making the content available for everybody, and it's amazing how just once you start becoming aware of happiness, how it grows in your life, you start seeking it out like anything else. So, and um, and then when you start seeing the impact, you become to a certain degree start becoming addicted to it, and not not the standpoint of a, you know addiction, but you start being drawn towards it and then you start seeing it affect your life. So it's just, a, it's a simple little process and, and, you, and it's, and it's measured by your state of being and, or else it can be measured by, you know, like I said, clinicals and research that's coming out of these universities. It's amazing what's happening at Harvard and at UPenn and University of Beijing and all these different universities are proven that well-being and positive psychology is, is impact that's having on people's lives. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I just came back from a, three, four day long event with Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. And it was so eye opening. He said some things that really, I think, mirror what you're getting to and what your your whole mission is, which is that first and foremost, you know, um, your mindset is a choice in, in many ways. Right. You know, we you actually have the power to choose your state of mind. And that ultimately can lead you to making healthier choices and having a more fulfilling life. Uh, transitioning now to Nerium for a, a moment, I think because for many of my listeners, they're often curious about writing in to me about, Farnoosh, how can I make more money? I want to pursue a passion. I perhaps have an extra 15, 20 hours a week to you know, monetize and do something where I can have an extra revenue stream, but I ultimately want to do something that I enjoy. How is Nerium doing this for, for millions of, of, uh, of salespeople? Well, first of all, on the, on the product side, we've just been blessed. We're, we're in an amazing space. The space of beauty is just a very rich space to be in. So it's good, it's good to be in the space that hot one. When you walk into retail, it's, it's always going to be the first thing you ever see in a department store is beauty. So we're in a great space, but we have had an opportunity to come into space with Amazing research has come out from the top universities uh, uh, when they've been researching other things and accidentally discover these um, botanicals that really can affect the aging of the skin. And so we've 
tied into that. And our products that we have are you know, first to the market. They're unique. They have huge differentiation. They're clinically proven. That we have a global exclusive rights to it. So all those things make for you know the perfect scenario for a business opportunity. We're in the right space. Uh, we have breakthrough products, differentiation, all those great things. From that standpoint, business works. But what we've done is we've tried to focus as a company just as much on purpose and meaning as we are have on comp plan and, and financial opportunity. And and that's why we focus on things like happiness. When we have our conferences, we bring in people who speak about happiness and we're out of our advance, we do things about being a better person. Because I've always believed that uh, I can take out anybody and show them how to be happy. I can show them that, I mean, how to be successful. I can show them the activities to do it. <clears throat> but it's not the how you do them. With the hows are, it's how you do the hows. And, and my personal belief is, is your philosophy and your attitude is, is actually more important than your activities. If you have good philosophies, that turns into a good attitude, turns into the proper actions, the proper actions turns into the right results, turns into the right lifestyle. So at Miriam, we, we're blessed to be in a great space with a great product, and we, have a, we, and we know the activities that you need to be successful, you know, the hows, but we focus on how you do the hows a lot. And, and that's why we brought happiness in, and that's why we do all the things we do. And I think if you talk to your friends, like you mentioned, they'll tell you that Miriam is much bigger to them than just a product. It, it's a company that's about an experience. It's about being a better version of yourself. It's a company that's about helping other people become a better version of themselves and living a better life. And, and we focus a lot on purpose and meaning and our sense of community there. And, and, and I think that's why people make, I, I really personally believe, and I'm going a little long here, I apologize, but I really personally believe that people want to be part of something that matters and they want to be part of something that makes a difference in the world and they want to be part of something where they think they had impact, and and we focus a lot on that. And so, uh, for for your friends of Miriam, they'll tell you we're much larger than a product and a comp plan. We're really about the, the whole person experience. If you had to summarize your financial philosophy as it pertains to um, managing money, but also managing businesses, managing your career, what would it be in a nutshell? If you had, I su- I suspect you might have many, but if you had one that you really believe in that is dominant, what would be your biggest money mantra? Well, I, I grew up poor, okay? <laughs> that, that old story, you know, very poor. And uh, so I, I guess I knew the value of money. So I, there was a book written a long time ago called The Millionaire Next Door. I mean, that book came out every said, did they write that book about you? And, uh, and that's how I live. I personally save first and spend second. I've never been a person that, that, that society impact the way I spend money, which is I call it ego savings. Instead of buying the, you know, the, the purse that has the brand name, just buy the purse or buy the belt that has the brand name, just get the belt. And so I've lived within my means. And, and I'll give you good examples. When I was, uh, and I've been, you know, I've worked hard my life, my whole life, and, and uh, have had been blessed to be successful. But until I had a million dollars, net, net, net million dollars in the bank, not a million dollars in a house or net, net million dollars, my family and I lived on $4,000 a month. And when I got to a million, I took it up $6,000 a month and did that until we had $3 million in the bank. And then I took it to 10000 until I had $10 million in the bank. And I'm not, I'm not saying it to brag. I'm just saying I lived within my means. And I, my whole goal was always to get to what they, I read a long time ago was the 4% rule that I, you know, I could spend 4% of what I had you know, in working for me and I could have that for the rest of my life. And so if I had a million dollars, I could spend $40,000 a year. For the rest of my life, I never run out of money. It's just a simple formula. But I, I locked onto that when I was a young 
person coming out of college. And, and so I've always just tried to live with my means and save first and, and, uh, and build money that would work for me when I wasn't, when I wasn't there working, working it. You do sound like the millionaire next door. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned growing up poor. I'd love to now hear about your greatest money memory growing up, a memory that necessarily shaped the way that you approach money today as an adult. Where were you? What happened? What was the experience? Well, mine, you know, I, I, I always had to work to have the money because we didn't have it. Okay. And so, but my biggest one was uh, stuck between wanting to go into college and having the ability to go to college and trying to figure out how to get through school and pay for it, you know, and, and that was there, those dollars, when I made money cutting lawns and stuff when I was in high school, that was money that I could go spend on things. But when I got to college, all of a sudden I realized I was investing in myself and, and, and it was just a huge impact on me because I realized I wasn't just trading my efforts for dollars. I was trading my efforts for dollars that were going to give me an opportunity. And all of a sudden a dollar became so much more valuable to me because it was, it was the key that got me into a classroom and got me a book and gave me a chance to try and dig out of where I was at. And all of a sudden money became not something that I, I thought for pleasure, but I, I thought for opportunity. And I don't know how, you know, that was a blessing, quite honestly, because uh, to me, to, to work, and I, I, like I every morning get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and go strip beds at a hotel near the university, and then until, you know, for the people who are changing the beds, and then I'd race to the university to go to class, and then they would give me that check. All that told me is that allowed me to go to another class and stay in school another semester. And, and so money became an opportunity thing for me, and I've never forgotten that. And that's always how I've looked at it ever since. What do you make of people now leveraging six figures to go to undergraduate school and majoring in like something that doesn't necessarily translate to much in the job market? For example, I'm not meaning to hate on anyone who is majoring in, say, I don't know, uh, gosh, like art history. But unless you're going to go right. and like become a curator at the Met, and that's not going to happen right away, I don't know how that translates right away to making good money in the in the market. So, what do you? What would be your advice to? Because I just got a lot of questions about people interested in graduate school taking out these big loans. Mm-hmm. What? How do you assess that? How for your own children would you assess that? That's a, that's a very difficult one because. Um... Quite honestly, the job market has shifted so dramatically, and I don't really feel like the educational system has shifted with it. Um, and to still be teaching, like you, you said, history, it, it used to be that way. We, we studied these you know, basic components of education. I understand that, but quite honestly, in the job market now, it's much more specific. You know, and, and I think the rule now is more about your ability to learn and think and adjust than it is to know about history for example, and I'm not putting down history. And so I, I, I see these, these young adults going into school kind of following an old paradigm, quite honestly. And, and to be borrowing that kind of money and to put yourself in that kind of debt, um, first of all, I would ask the question, could you work through college and maybe eliminate that, half that debt, okay? Uh, because that debt is what I'm seeing these kids do is huge. And then they're coming into job markets that don't seem to be absorbing them unless you have specific skill sets. And you know, me as an employer, I'm looking for people who can impact me today. 
and, and who have, have skill sets. And so I, I just kind of think the, the, the paradigm of working has shifted, whereas the paradigm of education hasn't shifted as quickly. And so I, 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 I feel sad for these kids, you know, the, 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 the debt they're taking on and walking into a job market that doesn't seem to be as readily available and find themselves displaced. And so then they make even sometimes, and I'm not putting it down. I, I, I like graduate school. I went to graduate school. But then they go back to graduate school, maybe not out of wanting to, but out of the feeling that they don't have an opportunity and the hole gets bigger. So I think they, you need to really step back and honestly look at what you want to do and are you developing the skill sets that you're hireable, you know, that you're really readily hireable. Don't, don't get lost in just getting through college. Leave college with a skill set that really the value that can get you in the door. And if, now you've exchanged debt for that, that's okay. But if you just exchange a debt because you've got a degree in, in, in arts and sciences, I, I, you're, you're, that's not going to go very far in this day and age, in my opinion. I wholeheartedly agree. I'd like to transition to a question that I ask of all of my very successful guests, which is to talk about a failure. Uh, you have uh, no doubt you know, become this very, very successful entrepreneur, businessman, changing people's lives, creating movements. But I suspect that there were times in your life as you were reaching these goals that you made mistakes, you had setbacks. What is one that you consider to be a a transformative failure, a failure that ultimately bred success because you learned so much from that experience? Well, first of all, there's a ton of them, okay? Uh, (laughs) At least you're honest. (laughs) Uh, if I go through all my failures, people would just call me a failure. But you know, I'll tell you a quick story. Is, is I really was, I grew up pretty much what you call less than, you know, less than grades, less than everything. I really wasn't much of anything as far as success. And, and uh, so I was with a beach bum and uh, after high school on Daytona Beach. And, uh, and I was cutting greens at a golf course. And I saw these people in these nice cars doing golf. And I thought, you know, why are they different than me? And, and that was kind of like my day of disgust or decision when I just woke up. I was almost 18, 19, and almost 19. I woke up and I went back and I begged my way to the university and I got in and I actually went straight A's my first semester. And I've never made an A in my life. Okay. And so I busted it through college and, and graduated pretty well. Okay. And then I got a job at a Fortune 100 company called Texas Instruments and did really well. Went up to becoming Texas Instruments. System. I think I had a lot of their calculators. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was the guy. And I, I ended up being a manager for their, their intelligence system division, really neat. And then I left that, and that was back when solar was big. And I built a very large solar company. I'm saying all this for a reason. So I built this very large solar company, had distribution around the country, and was really doing well. And actually, each magazine was about ready to write an article about me, and I was only 31 years old. Okay, so for 12 years, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I, I, I went to college and, for, and, and graduate school, made the grade. Texas Instruments climbed the corporate ladder, went out and started my own business and had huge success. And then the government changed the tax laws, and all of a sudden the thing that was building the solar industry was gone in a matter of one second. And I went from being on top of the hill and making a lot of money to nothing. Lost every single thing I had, and they were towing away the car from the front of my house, and my, my little two-year-old daughters standing on the, next to me by my knee. And I went to my room and sat down and put my head in my hands. And I said, what just happened? For 12 years, I did everything I was supposed to do. You couldn't work harder. And 
and I am now broker than I, when I was a beach bum 12 years mm. ago. And uh, it, and I had to sit there and then I just said, but you know what? I might be financially broken, but I'm not, but I'm still the result of those 12 years. I, I still have that education. I still did climb that ladder and I still did build this company. And I picked up my pieces and, and started again. And it took me three years to dig out of that hole to get back to zero, <laughs> not back to, you know, because when you go broke, you don't go to zero, you go below zero. Right. You know, and, and, to, and to dig myself out. And, you know, now it's 34 and I had all those experiences, good, bad, and indifferent. And I kind of just shook the dirt off my heels and started building again. But, you know, you have, I, I think if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be who I am today. I, it, it hurt then. It's kind of like you have to know sad to know happy, and good mm-hmm. to know bad, and got to be broken to know success. And so I look at it as, a, as an asset these days. Okay, let's flip it. I want to know what would be your greatest achievement, success, financial achievement, your so money moment. This show is called So Money. So I like to ask guests, what's your so money moment? Brag a little. Tell us. <laughs> well, when I was, uh, when I was when, again, back to this story, and I went back to this college, and then I got hired by Texas Instruments, and I was got involved in the television systems division. They sent me to a boat show down in Fort Lauderdale. It's the, it's the world's biggest boat show. And, and we're gonna, we were doing navigation for marine and airplanes and stuff. And I'd never been to Florida and I'd, as far as, you know, that kind of scene. I'm sitting there seeing these mega yachts, okay? And so I just sat there and I saw these houses. And I said, who are these people? What? Wow. How do you do mm-hmm. this, you know? And uh, and then so life goes on. And you know, like I said, I picked up my myself at 34 after all that stuff i started building and i sold the company some years later to a public company and and had a huge payday you know one of several that's happened for me i've been so blessed and and uh i sat there and i because i said to myself back then if i ever make it i'm gonna get one of those yachts and i'll never forget it i that then when i sold that company i went down to that boat show and you know you're talking about the guy who drives a car 10 years and you know, you know where he lives below his means and I went down there and bought a yacht. Whoa! <laughs> and for the next eight years, I circumnavigated. You know, I went to the islands all the time and had fun. And so it, it was a, you know, still had my business and stuff. But I, I was one of the guys that had a yacht, and it was the neatest thing in my life at that time. Did you pilot it yourself, or you had someone? Oh no, I had a crew. I had a crew Whoa. of three that lived on it, and it was a 112 foot yacht. It was big. I had a helicopter pad, and <laughs> all awesome. the crazy stuff that, that I always thought I just never understood and. Well, I a boat it makes it. no financial yeah. sense, but if you can afford it none, and it, it's, it's no none. skin off your, you know, it's, it's fine, you know, <laughs> to go for it is a super splurge. Um, but right. I mean, there's nothing like feeling free in the ocean, you know? Right. So wonderful. That was my moment. That's when I said I'd made it and I knew it was stupid as far as, as, as far as an intelligent thing to do. But I said, if I don't do it, I'm not doing what I promised myself I would do a long time ago when I went through the efforts I went through. And so it was a reward. Do you have habits that help keep your finances in check that help you make healthy decisions along the way about money? Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I apologize for that. I, um, number one, I, I live below my means. Number two, I, I, um, I literally compute my net worth on a very regular basis. I want to know what it is and what it's doing. And so I, I really do a balance sheet, you know, just like I do with this segment of all my companies. I mean, I get a profit and a loss and balance sheet every single month on the company. And I do the same thing to myself. I, I, I literally turn, I, you know, I, I write, it's on a piece of paper. It's actually on a printout. 
and I literally see uh, what's going in and what's going out and what my net worth is on a monthly basis. I, I, I treat myself personally the same way I do my, my business. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, one of our earlier guests, J.D. Roth, who started the award-winning blog, Get Rich Slowly. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but he advocates that, you know, we talk about CFOs at a corporate level, but we should all be our personal CFOs. We should know what's coming in, what's going out, what's our, uh, our profit loss at any given moment. And uh, so it's nice to hear that you're actually doing this and it works for you. Yeah, I, I, and, and I love his title, Get Rich Slowly, because that's what I believe. I, mm-hmm. um, I've never been a person. I didn't get involved in the dot-com stuff. I, I'm a bricks-and-mortar guy. You're the millionaire person. next door, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I believe. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just say I just believe in going slow. I, I, I have a saying that's one of my core values. I have 10 core values I live my life by. And one of them is go slow to go fast. So, and I do the same thing on investing. I, I don't try and hit home runs. I'm, I'm a plotter. It's very safe, very secure thing, small returns that long-term returns I can count on. And, uh, and so that's my strategy for investing. I, I don't, I'm never throwing bombs. I'm never going for quantum leaps. I'm never trying to make the, the hero money. Yep. See, it doesn't happen overnight. Financial success is not something that happens you know, overnight, it's sometimes not very sexy. It's kind of boring. You know, you got to just be patient and stick to what you know is right and what will win. Um, Not taking a whole lot of risk, living below your means, you know, spoken like a true, true millionaire. This is almost the end of the interview, Jeff. I'd love to now throw at you a few so money fill in the blanks. So I start off a sentence, you finish it. First thing that comes to mind if I okay. won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won Powerball, which keeps going up, the first thing I would do is? Oh, the first thing I would do is, is first thing I would do? First thing. Is, yell, no. <laughs> well, sure. The, the, the first thing I'd actually do is, is I'd go and evaluate uh, the, the different um, trust situations I got set up and see if they work properly for the movement of this money beyond me uh, when I'm not around or how I'm going to work out of my control. So I have trust set up. Good, good, good. One thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Health. Um, I, I, spend, I, I almost make no limits on the quality of the vitamins, the quality of the food, and the quality of the exercise that I get. That's one place I, I kind of take the uh, governor off, and, and I, I only I, I get I buy the best foods, I buy the best vitamins, I go to the best workouts and that I can to have the most optimum health I can possibly have. My biggest splurge, my biggest guilty pleasure is, besides your boat, <laughs> your yacht. Uh, yachting. <laughs> yachting because I still charter yachts, <laughs> so right. it's uh, it's it's the go and and my biggest splurge is to get some friends, uh, either go on a, a commercial carrier or get a private plane, fly to an island, land where a yacht meets you, and go hit the islands for a period of time. The one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is. That it was in abundance and it was everywhere. You just had to figure out how to get to it because I, I grew up with a, a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I didn't realize that you can that it's there for you. And, and I was almost afraid of it until I finally broke through, you know, and, and call, like I said, when I saw a scene that dollars opened doors for me in college, I started realizing it was the pathway in many other ways. And, 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 and instead of seeing it as a, as a necessity to survive, I saw it as an opportunity to thrive more than anything else. And, and to give back. Favorite. Oh, I'm a, I'm a huge giver backer. I'm biggest person for big brothers, big sisters right now. And I've given away two and a half million books for two teens of a book. I wrote a book called the side edge. It's been redone for teenagers. And, and uh, I, I really like giving back. I, I believe that when you, you give your, you actually really do receive. And I, and I just, again, I think it's the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do uh, as a business. I, I just believe businesses that give uh, thrive more than businesses that don't. Which is, you just completed my my other question, which is, when you give to charity, where do you give? And last but not least, Jeff, I'm so money because... Because it is kind of the the denominator that makes the world... I hate to say it, but it, money is, is, the, is what drives the, the activities of the world. I mean, now, you want to do it healthier, and you want to do it with a great attitude, and you want to do it in a loving, caring, sharing way. But money is the, the, the common denominator that makes all things move. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, all your insights to, with us. Everyone, can, let's celebrate. It's the International Day of Happiness. To learn more about uh, the International Day of Happiness and Happy Acts, go to happyacts.org. Um, if you're going to tweet about it, please use the hashtag happyacts. And let us know how you've been taking on this Happy Axe Challenge. Uh, Jeff, anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we, uh, before we part ways? No, I, I, I'm just grateful that you just said what you did because uh, I think if anybody goes to happyaxe.org or goes to livehappy.com, what you're going to see is just a whole bunch of information about how to be happier. And what you're going to see is that it's easy for you to obtain and what you're going to learn if you just engage in these simple activities is you can become more successful financially and emotionally and, and health and, and relationships and everything. So you're just becoming happier. And it's very, 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 very attainable. And it's a, it, it, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. It's a smart thing. It's also the right thing to do. Well, again, we thank you so much, Jeff. Congratulations on today's celebration and uh, hope to have you back here soon. Thank you. I'm headed over to the uh, Happy Wall in, in New York, and uh, I'm going to be celebrating there with a lot of people. I think, I think Frankie Valley's coming by. Frankie All right. By. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. The big girls don't cry, right? You got it. The Four it's Seasons. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much. Happy, happy International Day of Happiness, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. To learn more about Jeff and the International Day of Happiness, check out happyacts.org. We've got all the links at somoneypodcast.com. And there, of course, you can find the transcript and show notes and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And keep your questions coming. Hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask me your question. And every weekend I do make a best effort to answer every single question. Whatever's left over hops over to the next weekend. And please, if you love the show and you want to support the show, I would love if you'd leave a review. Reviews get you great placement in the iTunes store and more organic growth. And when you do leave a review, simply email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com so I can thank you, one, and two, possibly pick you to receive a free 50 
15 minute money session with me. I choose one reviewer, one new reviewer every single week. I announce this person on the Saturday episode of So Money. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, have a happy day of happiness. And I hope your day is so money.